Today I'm going to talk about the Dhammas which make for a good friend, the Dhammas which make one a good friend. Friendship is, according to the Lord Buddha, it is the whole of the holy life. It is everything for the spiritual journey is good friendship. And the word in Pali is Kalyana. Kalyana means beautiful or uh, it's often translated simply as good. We don't really have a proper proper translation here, but the literal translation is a beautiful friend or a beautiful friendship. It's got a little bit more emphasis than simply good. But in English the meaning we have is good friend. And why this is, is because the attainment of good states relies on an example, relies on a something to awaken in us a desire to, to better ourselves. When we look at ourselves, when we only have ourselves as an example, or if we have examples which... Um, are either equal to us or have perhaps even more bad habits than we have, then this is the reason why we are unable to develop ourselves spiritually. This is the reason why we tend to get into unspiritual things or get involved in things which are unconducive for spiritual enlightenment. We have bad friends. You know someone by the by the friends they keep, but also you become like the friends you keep when you have certain um, when we when we keep friends who are addicted to sensual pleasures, then we ourselves become caught up in the addiction to sensual pleasure. When we have people who are angry or are gossiping or full of bitterness and cynicism and so on and we become like them when we have friends who are stressed we become stressed friends with bad habits can can really and truly drag us down at any rate they don't give us any great reason to develop ourselves except maybe for the fact that they experience a great amount of suffering and we can take them as an example of what not to do but the true development of spirituality uh, lies uh, in in this very life lies with uh, the example which we get from those people who have already developed themselves who have already gone a certain ways along the path those people who are admirable those people who are um, worth emulating and when we see them as an example when we take them as an example we be become more like them and they give us encouragement and they give us the ability to develop ourselves spiritually. So this is a very important thing in the practice of, of uh, spirituality or in, in specific here the practice of the Lord Buddha's teaching. We need to have friends who are, well, who, who have these certain qualities. 
And so the seven qualities which make for a good friend are one, that they should be lovable or adorable, that they should be someone who is, uh, um, we say attractive, but here the meaning is their character is attractive, they are friendly, uh, and they have a nice character, they are nice people. You could translate this as just being a nice person. Number two, they are respectable. They have a character and uh, they're, they're cultured people, polite and uh, with many different virtues, which make them worthy of respect. They're respectable people. Number three, they are um, worthy of estimation. There are people who are heightened individuals. It means they have some virtue, something that we can uh, learn from them. They have knowledge and they have attainment. And number four, they are able to teach. They are able to tell us things which we don't know. They're able to tell us what's what. They're skilled in, te in, in talking, in, in letting us know what we need to know. Number five, they, can, they are able to uh, bear with our, they're able to listen to our speech. When we talk, they're able to listen. So not only being able to teach or be able to give advice, but also being able to listen to us when we have things to say or when we have stories to relate or problems to relate or so on. The ability to listen. The ability to uh, put, our, put their hearts into listening. Uh, number six, the ability to not only not only just say things and advise things, but the ability to converse on deep and significant and meaningful subjects. So not simply talking about uh, sup superficial things, but the ability to get deep down into the the very framework of reality and about higher subjects like insight meditation and enlightenment and so on, they're able to talk and able to explain. So the depth of their conversation, this is a quality of a good person. And finally, they don't lead you, they don't encourage you to do things which are inappropriate. They don't give you advice that is meaningless. Uh, they don't encourage you in things which are going to lead you down a dead end or uh, slow you down or give, they don't give you bad advice. So it's not, not enough that they just are able to, to talk to you or they think to advise you, but their advice also has meaning to it. So these seven things make up a, a good friend. These are the things we should look for in a good friend according to the Lord Buddha. The first one, simply being nice or being uh, friendly. This is something which we uh, 
we all of us should should consider when when we look at ourselves and when we try to develop ourselves. These qualities are not only what we should look for in a friend, but these are the th sort of things we should think to develop. It's obvious that someone who is not nice, who is not friendly, who is not uh, lovable or, or uh, attractive in their, their character, that uh, nobody would, will ever think to listen to them or think to give uh, any thought to what they have to say or think to go close to them. One of the most important parts of friendship is this affection and this uh, sort of, you could say, love that we have for our friends, so being lovable, you know, not being angry or getting easily irritated or uh, being cold or aloof, but being able to to ha have this sort of esteem, uh, this this sort of quality which allows us to to get our point across because people want to listen and they enjoy listening to what we have to say because of our character because we're nice and we're kind and the things we have to say don't <coughs> you're not start saying bad things and holding yourself up and putting other people down uh, not saying bad things behind other people's backs and so on. in general being a nice person and this was a quality a very important quality of the Lord Buddha which allowed him to spread his teaching very effectively. It said that even animals found the Lord Buddha um, attractive or, or had great affection for the Lord Buddha. There was a time where, uh, this is a good example, because there were a, a group of monks at one time in Kosambi in, in India, uh, the place called Kosidarama, the, this uh, one Buddhist monastery. And, <clears throat> over um there see monks have very very minor rules that they have to keep very small and detailed rules like there's one rule where you can't keep water in the in the rinsing bucket in the washroom and this one monk did that and another monk saw it and said and look leaving leaving water in the rinse bucket is is wrong and the other monk said oh, okay well then let me confess it to you. You have to go through. Once you do something wrong, you have to confess it to another monk. He said, "Let me confess it to you." And the other said, monk said, "Well, but if you did it uh, and you weren't mindful when you did it, uh, then it's not an offense. Like if you just uh, forgot about it and didn't intentionally leave the water, and then it's not an offense." So the guy didn't 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 confess the offense to him. He went away, and he had this offense which hadn't been confessed. And so monks, they, as a sort of a punishment, we have to confess our offenses to each other. This is a routine. It doesn't mean when you confess the offense, suddenly the, the bad deed is gone or something. So if you kill someone, you just confess it in church or something like that. It's just a punishment that monks have to undergo when they do something bad. Just to sort of uh, um, allow them to be reprimanded for it and allow them to uh, sort of clear their conscience so that they don't have to, and so not to hide it and so on, to have some sort of um, mutual uh, you know, teaching each other and keeping each other pure and so on. And so this other monk, he saw the other monk, he saw the first monk didn't confess the offense and he took it to mean that the other monk was still in the wrong and he went around and told all of his students that this monk was in the wrong and then those students went and told the other monk students, and the other monk students went and told their teacher, and the teacher said, 
hey, that, he told me that I wasn't in the wrong. He said, well, that, that teacher's a liar. And so those students heard this and they went back to the other teacher students and they said, your teacher's a liar. <laughs> Until the whole monastery was up in arms and they were separated into two, two uh, factions. And the Lord Buddha came to them and he said, look, why don't you guys, can't you guys see? I mean, thieves and murderers, they're able to get along and here you guys you've left the home life and you're, you're trying to become free from suffering and here you are fighting. I think this is some, a really good example that we can take nowadays when, uh, whenever any conflict arises or so on and we start fighting and getting all arrogant and uh, getting up in arms about anything because it, 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 it really is, is quite baffling if we step back at it and say, wait a minute, why am I here? I'm, I'm here for the exact opposite of, of where my mind is headed. I'm here to give up these very mind states that I'm here cultivating. And so when we let these mind states arise, we're, uh, we're doing something that is antithetical to, to our reason for being here. And it, it's a sign that we've completely forgotten why we undertook this in the first place. So when we're able to, to step back and look at this, we can say, okay, we'll, we're able to let things pass a lot better. We're able to get get along because we know why we're here. We're not here for suffering. We're not here to create suffering for other people. We're here to do away with all of these states. And if we're not helping the problem, we're, we're a part of the problem. And so instead of looking and seeing why are other people all this way or that way, we should work both to heal the problem inside of ourselves and to maybe support other people so that they can become free from these from these things. When we see people getting angry or so on, we shouldn't say, how dare they get angry, this is a meditation center. We should say, well, I, I, hope, I, I certainly hope that they have the chance to overcome. We should see that these people are here because they have these problems. We shouldn't come and think, well, this is a meditation center, how dare they do that, and so on. We should look at ourselves and try to uh, see the problems inside of ourselves. And when other people come up with problems, we should try to be patient and know why we're here. We're here to do away with these things. We're here because we have these problems. And so these monks, rather than looking at the anger that was coming up inside of themselves, they, they only saw the problems in the other people. And so they got to fighting. And the Buddha ran away, and the short, the, to make a long story short, the Lord Buddha left, and he went and lived in the forest. And while he was living in the forest, they say there's a, there was an elephant who was so attracted to the Lord Buddha's uh, lovable nature, the Lord Buddha's the love which the Lord Buddha radiated at all times, that he came and he looked after the Buddha for three months during the rainy season. Uh, he he would bring fruit from the forest to the Buddha. If you've ever seen uh, elephants, they can be quite well trained actually. And they, they're quite intelligent. And they're quite receptive to human emotions. So the Lord Buddha, with his power of love, he was able to give, uh, give such faith and confidence to the elephant through his lovable character. You can see this in animals. If you are practicing meditation and when you're developing wholesome states of mind, you can see how animals react to it. They're able to uh, they're, they're able to receive our love and able to respond to it 
and they can become very affectionate. If you've ever had the experience of dogs that are uh, vicious, uh, attack dogs, but if, you're, if you have the right state of mind and if you practice meditation and you understand the way the mind works, animals are actually very easy to tame and very easy to calm down. If you've ever had this experience, if you ever see a dog barking and ready to bite you or so on, and if you, if you act with, in, the right, in the right way, you can often change the, the mind of the animal, or at the very least have them wake up to what they're doing so that they're uh, no longer angry, no longer, no longer interested in attacking you. There was a story once, of, there was a, an example once I went to someone's house and they had this Tibetan guard dog. It's, it's this vicious dog that is able to lock its jaw like a pit bull or something like that. And it would bite anyone who came and even bit the owner's mother and it was a vicious sort of dog. And I would go to this house and go to visit the people in the house because they wanted to learn meditation. And in the beginning, the dog would bark and bark and bark, and then it would come up and it was going to bite my foot or so on. And so I looked at it and I stuck my foot in its face and said, okay, you want it? Bite. <laughs> Go for it. And the dog freaked out. It backed off. It didn't know what to do. And then I just kept talking to it and kept smiling at it. And from that point on, the dog was, was, a, was a really good friend. And every time I came, it would come and sit up on my lap. And this, they, they, the owners were incredibly amazed because nobody else could go near the dog. This was a dog that uh, uh, everybody else was definitely afraid of, except for the owner who, who had it very well trained. But he was also amazed. He had never seen it act this way to anyone. But it's really not, not a very special thing. You just have to understand. When you practice meditation, you can understand how the mind works. And there are even some people who are able to read animals' thoughts and when the animal barks or birds are able to hear the sound of the birds and know what the birds are saying and so on, based on an understanding of how the mind works and, and so on. But this is something which we, we sort of aspire to, to maintain and to develop for ourselves and it's, it's something you can't fake, you can't pretend to be nice and you, you, it's, it's easy to see through people who are, are just polite for the sake of being polite. This is actually something which comes from the heart where you've developed this sort of, uh, this understanding of suffering. You know what it means to suffer, so you don't want to bring suffering onto anybody else. Uh, you, you, uh, you, you understand the problems that exist in other people's mind. You understand why they're angry. Uh, you understand the causes of anger, the causes of greed. You understand that these people can't, simply can't control uh, their emotions, and you feel sorry for them because you know you, you for yourself have gone through these same experiences. So instead of getting angry or upset when people yell at you or so on, you're able to give them compassion and love. And this is something which is very important in being a good friend, and it's something which we all look for in a friend. This is something which we should all aspire towards. The second, the second one being respectable. This has to do with our temperament and our character and our culture, our manners and so on. This is something which everyone looks for in a friend. This is something which is very important in a friend, someone who knows uh, what to do and what to say uh, at any given time, one who has sort of this politeness of character. In the Lord Buddha's time, it was, it was one of the um, greatest ways to spread Buddhism was simply to um, 
develop this this sort of this, this culture. For instance, so when you practice meditation, you know, your your actions and your speech become more cultured and more quiet and more peaceful. To the point where people simply see would see the monks going on alms round, and they would become very uh, inspired. You know, they would they would become uh, very interested in in the teaching of the Lord Buddha, simply by seeing the Lord Buddha going on alms round or the monks going on alms round. This was this was what inspired Sariputta, the Lord Buddha's chief disciple, to become a follower of the Lord Buddha. He saw this monk. He didn't even have to hear any teachings of this monk. He saw a monk going into the city and his walking was done mindfully. So simply the walking, when we walk, walking, walking. It's a very different thing to walk mindfully and to walk unmindfully. Really to do anything. To speak or to act. When we speak or we act with a pure mind, with a mind which is clear, which is aware of, of the things which are going, which are occurring. It's a far different thing from when we act and when we speak simply by our emotions or without really uh, being aware of what we're doing or what's going on. Because when we act without thinking, without being aware of it, we do so out of greed, we do so out of anger, we do so out of conceit, out of ignorance, out of views and so on. We have all sorts of ulterior motives for everything we say. We're wanting people to look up to us, to think much of us, uh, wanting to get something from someone, wanting people to be attracted to us, uh, or wanting to hurt other people, and so on. We have many these ulterior motives. When we when we act, we are also acting out of greed and and anger and so on, out of delusion. And when we walk and we walk confused, when our mind is thinking and we're still walking and so on. You can tell whether someone is mindful by the way they act, by the way they do things. And this is again something not, that you can't fake, something that you don't need to pretend and you don't need to create. But it's a sign, it's something which we, we gain from the meditation practice and it's a sign that a person is truly practicing. When their movements are natural, when their speech is unforced, when their speech is free and clear and uh, has deep meaning to it and so on. So there was this this one monk. He went. He was walking on alms round. He had become an, an enlightened disciple of the Lord Buddha. And just by his walking, and by the way he held his robe, and by the way he held his bowl, and by the way he turned, and by the way he looked, and so on, everything he did was with mindfulness. There was nothing that he did without mindfulness. And this is something which can be a great example for us. It's important that we realize that everyone else is looking at us. People are looking and they're reacting at everything we do and everything we say at all times. And we can see this for ourselves, how we react to other people's action and their speech. When someone acts uh, violently or un inappropriately, we immediately react. And they might not realize it, but we've caught them in the act. We know what they, that they were being unmindful, that they were doing something wrong, and we make a judgment as a result. Well, the same thing happens when we do or say anything. Everyone else is judging us at all times. And so on the one hand, we can. it's very important that we let go of this, our worrying about other people judging us. But on the other hand, it's, it's also 
something which, cu which cuts us off from other people. Anything good that we might have had to tell them is, is lost because they're, they've already made a judgment call on, on who we are. We ourselves, when we look for a good friend, we look for a good friend who is cultured, who has a, a good, a nice character, and a, uh, someone who is worthy of respect. Someone who has all, many sorts of qualities like patience, and uh, someone who speaks at the right time, someone who is polite, someone who is truthful, someone who is generous, and someone. Who is uh, who is very vir who is virtuous? Someone who doesn't kill, or doesn't steal, or doesn't lie, and so on. These are the things we look for in someone, in a friend. These are the things we look for in a mentor, in a teacher, and so on. Someone who we think is worth listening to has to have certain qualities, and so these are the very qualities which we ourselves should should consider when we're looking to be a good friend something we look for in a good friend and something we we think to gain for ourselves so that we ourselves can be a good friend to other people. When we think we want to help other people, if we think of the, that there are other people we love and we wish to care for and to help, then we ourselves have to have to have a certain standard of character because everyone else is watching us and they're going to pass judgment on us at every moment and this will affect their ability to listen to the things we say and to follow after our example. Our ability to give things to other people is very much dependent on our presentation, our character. This is another important quality of a good friend. The third quality is um, being a person worthy of esteem or a heightened individual. Someone who is worth um, holding up kind of like holding up on a pedestal or someone who is worth holding up high. Someone who is developed, you could say. So apart from just being a cultured individual, it's someone who has, has great attainments. And this involves attainments both in terms of learning. This means we have to study, we have to, to, to be a teacher, for instance. What we look for in a teacher is someone who is knowledgeable, no? Someone who has things which they can impart. Us. But we also look for someone who has practiced. These two, two things together are two of the great virtues of the Lord Buddha that not only did he know many things, but he also practiced accordingly. And we can, we can think of many teachers who, though they may have great knowledge and they might be able to cite things from texts and so on, they themselves have not practiced, have never attained to the, Dhamma, the teachings which they give. And the Lord Buddha was not like this. They say he, he was always pushing people onto the practical side. In fact, he said, even if you are not um, someone who knows many things, if you haven't studied and haven't learned a great many things, but if you yourself have practiced and have realized for yourselves all of the spiritual attainments uh, which are worthy of attaining, uh, then this is what makes someone, someone a heightened person, a person who is worth holding up on high, someone who is worth looking up to, I guess you could say. And so there's a story about this. There's, there was two monks, there were two monks in the Lord Buddha's time, and I can't remember, I think they were brothers or something, but one of them decided to teach 
and uh, he, he decided to learn the Lord Buddha's teaching by heart and so he learned all of the Lord Buddha's teaching from start to finish and he taught many 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 monks about the Lord Buddha's teaching and he had a great many disciples because of his vast learning and so he was someone who they thought was worth looking up to then there was this other monk who just went off into the forest and practiced and he became enlightened and he, so he never got into the, the theoretical side of Buddhism he just practiced meditation all the time and as a result of his practice there was another group of monks who, who started to form around him and became his students and thought that he was someone worth looking up to and so the, the monk who had done all the teaching, all the studying he heard about this and he, he thought well that's ridiculous that these people should go and, and follow after, these monks should follow after that teacher he's never studied anything, he has no clue about the Lord Buddha's teaching why are they following him just because he lives off in the forest like, a, like a, an animal or so on and so he thought he would, he would find a way to ridicule this, this monk. So he brought all of his students to see the other monk, and he was going to show this other monk up uh, by challenging him to a debate. And he, he figured that there was no way that this monk could possibly answer any of the questions because he had never done any studying, and he was going to show the, this monk's students that this monk knew nothing. And of course, the Buddha, Lord Buddha found out about this and so he went as well. He walked in on them just as they were setting up for this debate. And so they set up a seat for the Lord Buddha and the Lord Buddha sat down. And the Lord Buddha proceeded to run the debate and ask them both questions. First he asked uh, questions of the monk who had done all the studying, but he didn't ask questions about textual knowledge. He asked questions about practice. You know, what is it like to experience tranquility of mind when your mind is perfectly focused uh, how, how do you practice to uh, do this or do that which what what is you what is this like what is that like asking about all sorts of spiritual attainments uh, asking very intricate questions about spiritual attainments and the monk was lost because of course these were questions which the Lord Buddha had never answered uh, in detail these are questions which can only be answered based on practice and so this monk had no clue how to answer these questions. He had never heard the, these questions asked before, so he had no answers. But of course the other monk, because he had practiced, he answered based on his practice, based on his experience. He knew how the mind worked in, in full, and so he was able to answer the questions uh, quite easily. And the Lord would ask questions about enlightenment, about uh, nitty-gritty detail, nitty details about, about what it means to be enlightened, and what is it like to be an enlightened person. And of course... The monk who was totally unenlightened, who had just studied a lot, was unable to answer. And so in the end, the Lord Buddha uh, made it clear who was his son. And he said, uh, someone who studies a lot but never practices, this is like a person who keeps the cows for somebody else, a shepherd or a cowherd, who keeps someone else's cow but isn't cows but isn't able to get the, the milk or the butter from the cows is only able to uh, say that he's protecting other people's cows, looking after people's cows. But then the person who, who owns the cows, this is the person who can get the, uh, get the milk and the butter and so on. And in the same way, someone who, 
who hasn't studied but has practiced. This is like someone who owns cows, who has the fruit of the practice for themselves. So it's important to understand that simply learning the Lord Buddha's teaching or learning anything really from a theoretical point of view is in the end it only leads to some kind of intellectual stimula stimulation. You know, if we talk about enlightenment and we we're able to talk about it, as they say talk is cheap. It's very easy to be a teacher if you even though you don't have any experience. So the most the, the in the Lord Buddha's teaching, someone who is worth looking up to is someone who has attained some sort of state of of uh, higher higher being, someone who has gained some worthy attainment, who has gained something for themselves in the Lord Buddha's teaching, whether they've just gained tranquility of mind or whether they've gained some understanding of the nature of the body and the mind, or whether they've actually been able to attain a certain stage of enlightenment where they're able to do away with certain defilements, able to do away with uh, ignorance, able to do away with wrong view, and so on. And this, of course, is something that we aspire to. If we want to say that we are a good friend, it's not simply, simply because we can sit around uh, enjoying each other's company uh, or even simply because we have good character but also that we have something that is worth uh, emulating something that we have to give to to someone else we have to impart to someone else being a good friend is not like friendship as we know it in an ordinary society where we get along well and so on where we get along well but we end up just wasting each other's time we have to actually if we wish to be a good friend for other people and help other people it's the same thing that we look for ourselves in a guru or a leader. This is someone who is worth looking up to, someone who has something that uh, is worth emulating or worth following, worth learning. This is number three. And the fourth one, the fourth quality, being able to talk, being able to say, being able to instruct. Uh, this is a sort of a quality that the Lord Buddha uh, had for himself was in a very sort of special way because he was able to teach things that none of us uh, had ever known before that nobody was able to come up with themselves in the Lord Buddha's time he was able to say to teach pe things to people like teaching the Four Noble Truths uh, he was able to instruct instruct people exactly how they needed to to learn so he didn't teach everyone in the same way he had many many this is why the Lord Buddha's teaching is so vast it takes up a whole bookshelf because as you can see if you read it that for every person he had a different teaching and in the end it would all come back to the same place but he had to approach things based on the other person's uh, level of understanding so the ability to teach and the ability to explain is is another important quality which we we look for in a teacher we look for in a friend and it's something which we try to gain for ourselves it's something that is quite different from the ability to practice, but the ability, or even the the knowledge which we gain from the practice. Sometimes we understand things for ourselves, but our ability to express these things in words is limited. So this is another thing we we can think of when we we want to be a friend is the ability to help each other, not to keep quiet when we see someone is suffering. The ability to give advice, the ability to talk things out, the ability to help another person with their problems. 
there's an example in the Lord Buddha's time, there was this woman, Patachara, that I think I've mentioned before, who lost her whole family in a single day. She lost her, son, her two sons and her husband and her mother and her father and the whole family. And she went crazy. She, she became so uh, sad and so uh, so upset by this occurrence that she became cr she went crazy. She went wandering like a mad mad woman. Until finally, just the speech of the Lord Buddha. This is the the ability of the Lord Buddha to wake people up. Was that when he said to her, he, he said to her, "Sure, okay, this is a this is something which is very sad, and it's it's indeed true that you've gone through a terrible thing here." But he said, "When when this is, we know that this is something which is a characteristic of samsara." He said, actually, all of the, if you think about it, all of the tears that you have shed in the rounds of samsara, it's greater than all of the waters in all of the oceans. He said, what use is there in crying? And his ability to, to, to give mindfulness to this woman was, uh, was something that woke her up and she decided that she would become a nun and in the end she became enlightened. We have to be very careful sometimes with what we say. What, what we say has to have meaning, it has to have purpose, and we have to try our best to... Uh, speech is a very powerful thing, of course. Speech is something that can give people happiness. Speech is something that can give people suffering. And it's important that when we speak that we are mindful when we speak and that we don't just say things without considering them without considering them carefully. And this, the, fifth, the fifth quality, the being able to put up with other people's words, this is a very important quality of a friend, I think, that we can all appreciate. The ability to withstand other people's criticisms, uh, their complaints, sometimes even their anger and frustration at us. Because, of course, this is what destroys friendships. When one person gets angry at another and the other person gets angry back, you can say that the friendship is in great, in great trouble, is often broken because of this argument, this arguing. So the ability to put up with other people's criticism and advice and so on is a very important quality of a good friend. It's a very important quality of a good teacher. I mean, just the ability to listen to students' problems to listen to other people's problems, even not just talking about students. But the fact that we care enough about the other person to listen to them and to really and truly hear what they're saying and think of ways in which we can help them with their problems. Not dismissing what they have to say as, as flawed. Understanding where they're coming from in all ways. And we can do this with anyone. We can do this with people who are angry at us. We can do this with people who are... Uh, looking down upon us or condescending. Uh, we can look at this with people who are wanting something from us, who are uh, coming from, from any point of, of, of uh, view. People who are coming from any circumstance. People who have problems with us, people who have problems of their own. We know how to react and how to try to solve their problems. So when someone's yelling at us and screaming, and saying bad things about us, we can we can understand where they're coming from. Often we can even see the problems that we've caused for them. 
This is something which is very desirable, I think, for all of us. Just being able to not only hear where people are coming from when they have their own problems, but also when they have problems with us and understanding how we might have hurt them or at the very least understanding the stress that they're in and why they are maybe overreacting the way they are. The Lord Buddha was, was again very clever in this way. He, there's a story of a man who uh, got very angry at the Lord Buddha because his wife was... Uh, his wife became a follower of the Lord Buddha and he, he thought that this was a terrible thing and that the Lord Buddha was, uh, was brainwashing his wife or so on. And so he got very, very angry one day and he came to see the, came to see the Buddha and he was, he was ready to just yell at the Buddha and say bad things to the Buddha. But of course, when he got there, he, couldn't, he found that he couldn't think of anything to, bad to say to the Lord Buddha. So instead he asked the Lord Buddha a question and he was very angry. And he said, he said to the Lord Buddha, he said, Kodhang sukhang seti. He said, what is it that you can kill and rest at ease? And he was ready to say something like, uh, yeah, I bet I could, if I killed you, I'd rest, I'd rest at ease, or something like that. So he was going to wait for the Lord Buddha's answer. What, what can you kill and, and be happy? What is it that you can kill, and when you kill it, then you can be happy? What can you kill and kill with happiness? Be happy having killed something, having killed this thing. And the Lord Buddha's answer was, Kodhang. Uh, sorry, the question was, King Katawa Sukhang Seti. The answer was, Kodhang Katawa Sukhang Seti. The Lord Buddha said, Having killed anger, you can rest happily, you can rest at ease. And so he was, he was able to, there was another Brahmin who came to see the Lord Buddha and he just he started yelling at the Buddha. He actually found the, the gal, gal to yell and say bad things and get very, very angry at the Lord Buddha. And so the Lord Buddha looked at him and he said, Tell me, Brahmin, when someone comes to your house and they have a gift for you, if, you offer them, if, if they offer you the gift and you don't take it, then who does that gift belong to? And the Brahmin said, well, if they, don't, if they don't accept it, then it still belongs to me. Or if I don't accept it, then it still belongs to them. And the Lord Buddha said, well, in that case, seeing as how you're angry here and I'm not responding to it, then this anger is yours alone. It's your gift to go, to go home with. And the Brahmin didn't know what to say and he was actually quite impressed by the Lord Buddha's answer and the, simply the lack of anger. You can see how easy it is to change people. If you, if you allow yourself to think of the anger as who this person is, identify the anger with them, this is an, a bad person or an angry person, and you create this identity for them, then you, you lose this, you, you, you create this false sense of who they are and you're unable to go any deeper with them. When you look behind that, and when you put a brush aside their their bad side, like the Lord Buddha said, uh, when you see a cloth, for in the Buddhist time, monks had to go around collecting uh, rags and making robes out of their out of the rags. He said, when you see a cloth and part of it is rotten and 
useless, then what do you do? You don't throw away the whole cloth, you just rip off the rotten part. And you take the part that's still good and you take it away and use it. Or when you when you come to a pond and there's there's scum on the top of the pond, you don't say that you can't drink from the pond, you just brush away the scum uh, until the, you have the water that's pure below it and then you drink from the pure water. <laughs> of course, I think anyone who's been to India knows that this isn't a very terribly wise thing for Western people to do, unless you want a bad case of dysentery. But I imagine in the Buddhist time it was uh, considerably cleaner than we find it today. And, and so on. So this ability to, to see beyond people's defilements, you can see how actually they become a whole different person once the defilement disappears. We can see how temporary things like anger are. This is something that we often miss and which creates great, a great amount of misunderstanding and suffering and breaks down friendships. So one of the most important qualities of friendship is the ability to withstand other people's uh, misunderstandings or um, their own frustrations and impatiences and so on. The sixth quality is the ability to talk about deep and profound things. And uh, I think this is, this is another defining quality which sets really and truly good, friend, good friends apart from ordinary friends in the general sense of the word. This is what we mean by kalyanamita, someone who is a beautiful friend, as opposed to just maybe we could say a good friend where we believe a good friend is someone we can get along with and we can sit around chatting about meaningless things and about uh, you know, politics and about food and about just sit around joking or telling story, meaningless stories or so on, gossiping. All of these things the Lord Buddha denounced. He said the, these things are not, are not proper to be talked about. Things like politics, things like uh, weather, or, I mean, to, to the extent where it becomes simply um, chatter or simply chatting, where we don't have any purpose behind our talk, where we're not thinking uh, that this is going to lead us to practice meditation or to become free from suffering, where we're talking just for the sake of the pleasure of talking, for the sensual enjoyment of the of the chat chatting or of the presence of the other person even simply enjoying the, the other person's presence because of course this is something which uh, leads to an attachment and leads us to really uh, need the presence of people and so on and we find that we're not able to be alone and we're not able to truly look inside of ourselves because we're always thinking about other people and when we can go and be with them and be around people and so on. So the ability to stick to the important subjects and when we talk to people to be able to get into detail in regards to things which are important. So when people are talking about <coughs> meditation or so on, that we are able to uh, help to explain things or help to uh, add our, our, uh, our voice to the to the dialogue. When someone starts talking about uh, meditation or about 
Vipassana insight or so on. That well, we, at least we can we can look at our dialogues and look at our conversation with other people. And if we see that when we are conversing with other people, then we're just talking about things which are useless and kind of just killing time, or we can say well, even wasting time. Then we can say that this friendship is is missing something. That our friendship is still not what you could call a good friendship because it's not productive. It's not something which leads us to higher spirituality or higher um, states of being. It doesn't advance us along and bring us closer to understanding and freedom from suffering. In the Lord Buddha's time, friendship, this is how friendship, this was a very important part of friendship, was this dialogue. And so it's not that monks just went off in the forest and practiced meditation for months and months on end without talking to each other. They would do a lot of that as well, but every so often, every five days, ten days, fifteen days, they would come together and they would even talk all night or discuss or even just r recite the Lord Buddha's teaching together and talk about it and discuss it and answer questions and go over and share their experiences and so on, giving advice to each other. This is how the the this is where the the practice of of uh, insight meditation as we have it we call the path of purification. It came from one dialogue of this sort where this this one monk he he went off into the forest. He didn't want to be around anybody. He was as as far as I know he was enlightened already. Yes, he wasn't. He was an arahant. He was enlightened and. So he didn't. He saw the whole group of monks, and he didn't think to sit around chatting with any of the monks. But he went off in the forest, thinking that he would be a good example, and that he himself would be able to uh, live at ease and live at peace. But this other monk, Sariputta, who was the the chief disciple of the Lord Buddha, he had heard about this monk's great reputation for having, uh, for being able to teach and be able to explain explain very deep and. Uh, profound subject. So he went after this monk and after the monk had practiced meditation during the day then in the evening Sariputta went up to him and asked him a series of questions and these series of questions then became the framework for our, our practice and it's a very profound subject it's something which is very difficult for us to understand if we haven't practiced meditation. It's the seven purifications it's talking about what is what is Buddhism, what is the purpose of the practice of Buddhism. And this is, of course, something which is of very great importance. It's an important thing to talk about and to understand. That Buddhism is not simply for morality. Uh, it's not simply for concentration. It's not simply for uh, right view. It's not simply for uh, overcoming doubt. It's not simply for understanding what is the right path. Uh, it's not for following that path, it's not for even reaching the end of that path. Uh, Buddhism is for the purpose of becoming free from suffering. And so all of these things, they go in, in order. You need to have morality if you're going to gain concentration. You need concentration if you're going to have right view, if you right understanding. You need right understanding in order to overcome doubt. You need to overcome doubt if you want to understand what is the right path. You need to understand what is the right path if you're going to follow the right path. Uh, you need to follow the right path if you're going to reach the end of the path. You need to reach the end of the path if you're going to become free from suffering and free from 
uh, defilement. So just like one, they said, just like one chariot leads to another chariot when you go into a set of relay chariots. Because in, of course in the Buddha's time, horses would have been the main mode of transportation. You can only take a, a pair of horses to a certain distance before having to change. And so these kind of things are what, the, what these people would, would discuss. There would be no talk about uh, politics or about food or about all of the things which we love to talk about. All of these things are considered to be useless. We have to be very careful when we engage in conversation that making sure that our conversation is actually useful, not, as I said before, simply trying to show people how great we are or uh, make ourselves look good or put other people down or uh, maybe uh, saying good things about ourselves, uh, boasting or bragging or indulging in our own addictions and uh, likes and dislikes, talking about food we like and don't like, uh, telling jokes and stories and so on, all of these things. When we really have so little time on this earth and every day is precious and all of the free time that we have we should be using uh, for, higher, for higher purposes. And if we think about not just our own uh, precious time on this earth but also the, the time of other people, and how we, we could so much better be uh, helping and encouraging other people in their practice uh, if our speech is, is based on deep and profound subjects. So this is number six, an important quality of good friendship. The number seven quality is not leading someone on a useless end. So giving advice which is useful and not leading people down bad paths. And this is of course something which we find, <coughs> as I said in the beginning, very common in friendships, that when an, any part of a group has, anybody in a group has a bad vice, then the other, group, the other people in the group start to share this vice. Uh, you know, someone is engaged in we all sorts of time-wasting uh, activities, then everybody else starts to, starts to get caught up in it, and we lead people down the wrong road. We even can often end up giving advice to people which is uh, unuseful or unhelpful. We find that we can uh, teach people things which uh, lead them in a bad direction or so on. It's important that we are, we are very careful when we, we talk with other people and that we give advice which is useful and so on. This is something which has to come from our own practice. Really the best way to become a good friend is to develop oneself to develop oneself in terms of our body, our actions, in terms of our speech, and in terms of our mind. Looking at our own mind and seeing the, the faults and the blemishes that we have in our mind, and learning to overcome these. It's not possible that we could ever accurately send someone down a path if we ourselves hadn't ever followed that path, ever reached the, the end of that path. It would be something that would be very difficult to do if we ourselves had never practiced to teach someone how to become free from suffering, to teach someone how to follow the path uh, to the end of suffering. So in, in all of these aspects, to be a good friend, uh, to be someone who is helpful or who gives things to, is actually of benefit to other people, uh, this requires 
for, for certain it requires one thing is a great amount of practice and dedication to uh, the practice and the cultivation of good states the cultivation of insight and wisdom and understanding uh, the cultivation of character of wholesome bodily actions and uh, proper speech and so on and the whole the care the cultivation of wholesome mind states uh, states like mindfulness clarity of mind awareness and and so on so this is the dhamma I thought I'd talk about today it's something that uh, we don't often hear talked about is is the idea of friendship but I think it's something important for us to keep in mind in terms of building a meditation center and a meditation group is that we understand the qualities that we're going to need to survive together uh, that we all have to be kind and gentle with each other we, we shouldn't be uh, ever be angry or upset or mean or nasty to each other that we should be cultured we should think of ourselves as not only ordinary people who can engage in uh, any sort of bodily or verbal acts that we we should wish that we should restrain ourselves and act in, in a proper way at all times really be aware of what we're saying and what we're doing uh, that we should develop ourselves and be able to teach these things to other people and that we should be able to listen to each other we should hear what each other have to say when someone criticizes us we shouldn't immediately get angry and upset uh, we should be able to talk and be able we should be well versed in deep subjects and be able to explain and be able to engage in an important discussion and we should be able to lead each other on the right path when we see someone going down the wrong path we should be able to do things at least be a good example for them and to help them to get back on the right path and help them to follow the right path so I thought this would be something useful to to talk about today and that's the Dhamma for today and I have everyone, all of us we now continue to practice on our way, first doing mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting.